Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is a storyteller and connector of people. With more than 17 years of experience helping brands build connections with their audiences, she has a knack for pushing boundaries to create new value and inspiring teams to build fresh, fun, and engaging content and programs. Her work has earned her recognition from Business Insider, Mashable, HubSpot, Kissmetrics, and more, and even snagged her a spot on North Bay's 40 Under 40 list. Please welcome Rhonda Hughes, VP of Corporate Marketing for Mural to the show. Rhonda, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? I am. (laughs) Amazing. Well, we're really excited to have you here. You know, we've known you for a while. And one of the things I personally love most about you is how transparent you are about all things marketing, strategy, you know, programs, creativity, whatever it may be. So I'm going to kick off the show with a famous question that our guests, you know, know it's coming. But Rhonda, what is keeping you up at night professionally these days? Uh, Well, I guess my answer is a little bit different than probably most of your guests, but uh, the tech layoffs. Um, So I was uh, previously laid off. So you just used my new title. Um, I haven't actually even started that role yet. Um, as VP of corporate marketing. Um, but pre- prior to this, I worked at Zoom for the last um, three and a half years, uh, starting right after the pandemic as our head of content, social media, and customer advocacy. And so I was impacted by the layoffs in uh, February of this of this year. So that's been really intense and kind of top of mind for me. Um, there was a stat somewhere. I don't know if it's, I, I didn't validate it, but there's over 250,000 people um, since the beginning of the year in tech that have been laid off. And it's an emotional roller coaster. So that's one of the things that have kept me up at night. Um, and just knowing the context of that as I go into my new role too is, um, you know, this is the climate. People are, are having worked alongside people that were laid off or starting new roles as well. And so, um, you know, how do we collectively kind of move forward together? I love that. I think that's key, collectively moving forward together. And I think what's really fascinating specifically, and you know, of course, first and foremost, so sorry about the layoff. I know you're going to rock your next role. Um, you're super talented. And I think what I what I love seeing across LinkedIn and across social channels and across our networks in the tech world is that regardless of what's happening in the tech community, it seems like our community, at least our B2B marketing community, is really tight and willing to help one another. And I, I love that. I haven't seen that before. Um, so I think that there's been a lot of good to come from social. I know we'll get into social later on. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that that has kept you up. It would have kept it. Listen, every time I head into LinkedIn, right, and we would see uh, open to work or we would see, you know, another, I don't know if anybody follows, what is it, Corporate Bro? I think his name oh, is. Oh, yeah. He was uh-huh. open, you know listing all the companies that are going through layoffs, your heart just starts beating faster. And it's it's definitely an uncertain time. Um, so glad, glad you are <laughs> firmly planted moving forward. And we're excited to follow you. You mentioned and, and 
you know, that it Zoom, you were heading up content. And I know you've been 17 plus years in the industry, um, you know, focused on content. So I have to ask, we're in 2023. What are some of the biggest trends that you're actually seeing right now in content? Yeah, I would say the biggest one, and nobody, this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, is AI. Um, and how it's impacting content um, from chat GBT or Jasper or copy AI or any of the slew of other tools that I don't even know. I, I like screenshot them when people send them because I'm like, <laughs> I want to go check this out. Um, but, you know, you can't you can't swipe through um, your TikTok or your LinkedIn without seeing just nothing but that right now. And so I think that is probably the biggest changer changer mm-hmm. <laughs> that's impacted <laughs> Um, right now, and it's it's got good things and it's got bad things, as with uh, as with everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So talking about AI, listen. So I think what was I, I feel like AI, right? If anybody's doing social, their due diligence and social listening, like five years ago, if you followed the hashtag like artificial intelligence AI, right? If you were going to predict some trends, you would have been like, oh, we should be on this AI trend because a lot of people were talking about it, but there was nothing like Chat GPT out there. And for content marketers, you know, we were still kind of um, you know, writing our hearts out, if you will. How do you think the future of chat GPT and AI will impact the content marketing world? Let's say, I know we can't predict tomorrow and I know right a year from now, but let's say, right, for the, the sake of the podcast, in the next three years, where do you see AI impacting content marketing the most? It's artificial intelligence, but I saw someone just recently, and I wish I remember who it was, um, talk about more of the assistant kind of side of it and looking at it as a tool, just like anything else, to help you, um, you know, kind of think about content in a different way or maybe help with that kind of first draft. So at the very minimum, it helps to save time um, and it gets you to that first draft. But now the bar, like the, the that's setting the stage of what content needs to look like um, and that kind of informative type of um, focus. So the threshold for what you create, but because it's made it in some ways, quote unquote, easier to like for someone who maybe wasn't a content professional before to write something, that means that the there's even more people creating content that's going to be vying for the attention of your audience. And so um, it's so much noisier and it will be this kind of explosion of noisy. Um, I think the opportunity when it comes to content is always not just sharing information, but doing so in a way that is new and interesting and insightful and memorable. And when, you know, I've taught teams in the past, you know, my focus isn't in just like creating the thing. It's creating something that like is memorable and that you um, want to share. That's like the bar that you want to set is that it's so valuable or so entertaining uh, that you want to share it with your your friends and your connections too. And so um, it's not just about what you say, it's also how you say it and that packaging around it. And I think these kinds of things become even more important when it's a noisy world with a lot of people creating written content that's based on, you know, some of the summaries or the prompts that you can do in chat GBT. It makes um, you as a content professional able to stand out even more because the rest of it is just like, it's about the same. It's all the like vanilla. So how do you add a little bit of something flavorful? Um, You know, how do you add your emotion to it? How do you add your insights to it? And then how do you package in a way that is um, not just written? I mean, we, we definitely have seen over the years more of a trend of people not wanting to read things like who has time to read things. Um, And so you're still going to write it, but how do you also think about doing a podcast or videos or GIFs or just visuals that are going to help 
either replace some of that written art or say it in a different way. And so I think, um, you know, your audience, whoever it is, has a preferred way of getting information. You need to be thinking about that and kind of thinking about the context um, and knowing that it's it's your job to know your audience and what they want and also to always be testing those kind of new things. Um, I think the third piece that I'll mention here, and like when my former teams listen to this podcast, they will laugh because I'm always talking about content distribution. Um, but I think the third piece really is the distribution and knowing that like, it's not just creating the thing. It's not just creating a really cool thing. It's also getting it in front of the audience that you're wanting to. Um, and when you're creating, you need to be mindful of what that context and where, you know, where you're intended for it to show up. Um, so I don't think any of that's necessarily new with chat GPT and, and AI. Um, I just think it becomes even more important because the landscape is much more noisy. Yeah, I think those are all extremely valid points and especially the noise. And when you start to focus, as you mentioned, on visual content, uh, understanding what's going to, you know, in our social world, stop stop the scroll, what's going to be, you know, lasting and memorable. And it's not always easy to do. And, and I agree with you. I think AI in some ways, well, it's helped us as marketers get that groundwork, that first draft. You know, if you're sitting there and you're staring at your screen and you have no idea, you have a writer's block and you go to chat GPT, right? And it populates kind of those first starting points and you get going from there. But it also adds this layer of complexity where, okay, everybody's now doing that. So how are you going to stand out? Um, and I think that, right, that leads me into kind of the next discussion where there's a good and a bad side to all technology, right? And so... How, in your opinion, do you see marketing professionals navigating what I'm going to call the moral implications of the tools that we use? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I think media literacy is one of these topics I've always cared about, right? It's like, there's so much more than just seeing a piece of content or engaging with it. It's knowing where it came from and what's shaping that opinion and, and being able to, as an individual, like experience that content with that in mind and know that, you know, we all bring our, our biases and our, um, you know, background to what we create and you need to know that. Um, and so when I think about using um, AI to create content, I mean, I'm not an expert in AI or chat GPT or any of the tools out there, but I do know that, you know, there are some limitations and that those things skew the information that you're getting. And if you're not looking at it critically, um, or if your audience isn't looking at it critically, that's a concern. Um, and so when I think about it, okay, so for ChatGPT, um, what is it? It has a limitation where it pulls info from September 2021. So that in itself just skews it. Um, but then you're also thinking it doesn't always provide the sources of where it's pulling this information from. And so where normally if you were thinking about searching in Google and then stitching this piece of information and this, then you've got that context of where it came from so that you can start to think about, oh, well, that person is from this company. And the reason they're writing this in this way is because they want to sell more product or, you know, whatever, whatever that motivation is. Um, I also, I don't know, it, it's probably not like a sample size. I don't know if I could say this, but I do think that what I've seen people trust the chat GPT like robot much more than they would and be less discerning that less of a of a sense of like healthy distrust um, in the sources and the content. Oh, because it came from a robot. Uh, and so I don't know that, that that's everybody, but I have had experiences where people are like, oh, I got this from here. And there's no question that that's the truth. And it's like, well, no, 
though. There are, um, you know, you need to be able to think through those kind of components. Um, and so I think that's where you'll start to see, I don't know, that's where my concern, I guess, when you go back to the, like, what keeps you up at night, when I think about these sorts of things, not from just a marketer, because it's like, oh, it's going to help me do my job more quickly. It's like, what's the bigger implication around using, everybody using the same source of data and not knowing where it's coming from? Yeah, yeah, I love that you said media literacy. I teach a course at Octopost around data analysis. And actually one of the first slides that I show that like a skill, right, that's never going out of style for B2B marketers, I say literally is media literacy, right? Because if you think about it, I'd hate to be the Vine specialist today or the Google Plus specialist today, right? Because if you don't have that media literacy to be able to understand the trends or to be able to understand where things are being pulled from, you're going to be out of job really fast. Um <laughs> so, and I agree, right? You got to do your due diligence in the research. You have to understand, you have to know what to believe um, and where that, that data is coming from. So I'm going to shift now to social for a minute because we've been talking a lot about AI and I know that there's a lot of talk about, right? Social media managers. We know, we know the work of a social media manager is not easy. We often joke it's 24 eight, right? You're just always on. Um, how do you see AI perhaps being used in a social strategy? And do you think it's helpful, hurtful? I know we kind of touched on it above, but when it comes to social, where do you see it playing a role? I mean, I I don't know if I'm just like a positive person. I always see the like positive. <laughs> I try to be like aware of where the negatives are, but I do think it's just a tool. It's a tool that's going to help people um, do different elements of their role better. So the way that I would think about it is one, um, I mean, it is a good social media person is aware of what's happening in the world and the conversations. And then how did they connect the dots between what they do, what their brand does, you know, the brand adjacent, the product adjacent kind of things and be relevant in that conversation. So you're seeing a ton of people talking about chat GPT or creating poems um, <laughs> about their brand or, um, you know, descriptions that they then leverage. So that was just like the of the moment, normal thing that like social media folks have a knack for doing because you need to be relevant to the conversation happening. I see where people are going deeper, and this is where I feel like it's very helpful, is that there's brands out there that are creating prompts in a way that are like, here's, you know, so-and-so number of prompts for um, how you might come up with a video script or in relation. So connecting that dot between like, okay, there's this AI tool and not just are we going to use it to create things, but we're going to help you use it to create things related to whatever our product does too. And so it's that kind of like going beyond the of the moment and actually being helpful in relation to this tool. Um, the third piece, I feel like there's, you know, there's the copywriting piece. And it's not just chat GPT. They've got a slew of it. I mentioned before there's Jasper yeah. and then there's AI and there's like, I don't know, a billion other tools now. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the times copy copywriting is not an easy skill. Um, and most social media people that I've met and trained never actually had anything formal um, in that kind of education. And so it's something that they had to hone over a period of time. And I think it's, it's a tool that can be very helpful at trying to figure out, well, how could I say this in four different ways to like open your brain up um, and, and help you to kind of think about framing. And so I think it's, uh, especially thinking about the social media role and just the struggle that you have is like, you're doing so many different things. Copywriting is a special skill. Um, and if you've not had somebody to help you kind of hone that, this tool could definitely be something that, uh, these tools could definitely be something that help you as well. 
I never thought about it that way. But now that you mentioned it, <laughs> my brain is definitely starting to churn. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's actually brilliant. So listen, I would be a complete failure if I invited you onto this podcast without talking about employee advocacy, because you are quite possibly the queen, I will say, when it comes to launching, running, um, maintaining employee, successful, I might add, or winning employee advocacy programs. And I was hoping you might be able to share with us a little bit today about what does a winning employee advocacy strategy look like? Because it's not such an easy thing to get off the ground, maintain, but you've done it, what? You've done it a few times. Not just- Four. Yeah, right? (laughs) Way back in the day before, I actually didn't even have the term employee advocacy in my mind whenever I was first doing this. It was like, I saw, because I oversaw social media, and this was at GoTo um, a billion, a billion years ago, we'll say. Um, I saw that, you know, we would share some cool webinar or some cool thing that we were doing and our employees would geek out about it in our social the comments. Like, I had no idea we were doing this. So we were kind of, it was more to solve like the content kind of awareness problem, but that's where we started to kind of get into, well, what if we put something in place and we encourage employees to share it? Um, and so, and and then the rest is history. So I have built programs for um, GoTo, Citrix, SurveyMonkey, and then for Zoom as well. And so. I will say that each and every program looks completely different. And I think there's a lot of reasons to that. Whether your content that you're creating as a company is broadly interesting, is going to, you know, impact. Um, If we're talking like enterprise IT, how many of your employees are actually connected to people who care about these things? I'm never going to share a white paper on security. It's not going to be me. So you're probably limited a little bit with how you might build a program. Um, I do think, you know, your identity as an employee and how much you feel like this is a part of my identity definitely um, plays in as well. Um, and then when I when I think about like how you approach a program, first, you're trying to figure out what the heck is your goal. And I tend to be very employee centric because any sort of advocacy program, you're not going to mandate that employees need to go and share everything. And you're not trying to create this army of robots who all sound the same. What you're trying to do is make it easier for them to find what is interesting that's happening related to your company and share it on social media in a way that's intentional and that is actually going to create value in their feed. Um, And so that's, you have to kind of go into it. The way I've always gone into it is how do we build a program that's going to help the business, but also help employees build themselves up professionally. Um, And that comes with usually you've got, you know, the kind of program that you're outlining and and what are you trying to accomplish and then going and finding a tool. So a tool is always a part of it, like Octopus, which is what we use at Zoom. Um, and, And then you need the training, you need the education because most people don't use social media intentionally from a professional standpoint. So a lot of kind of not, I would say like, you know, mind blowing uh, you know, trainings or anything, but just kind of walking people through how do you think about what you're trying to accomplish in social media as a professional? Um, it's not just about the company you work for. It's also about the role that you have or the role that you want, where you want to be growing those expertise. And so trying to think about and, and help people build those connections, think about what to share. How do you look at what's working? It's what's not. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a small thing to develop a program like this. And I think a lot of the time um, it's just needing to step back and try to figure out what you're doing. Um, who's the audience that's going to benefit from this internally, kind of going back to the fact of like, if you are targeting 
you know, a very specific niche audience, who of your employees are actually connected? Well, it's probably your sales team. That's a really great place to start because they have a vested interest. Um, They're using LinkedIn oftentimes for um, prospecting or connecting with existing customers. And so they want to have a tool and a program in place. And it's really good from a professional standpoint as like a social media professional or whoever you are within an organization um, to start with a pilot and then be able to show success before you grow. And the best place to show success is within the sales team because again, they have that kind of vested interest. Um, marketers also a really great audience for it. Um, recruiters are another really great audience. And then executives I've seen really be, um, and then broad employees as well. But like when you're thinking about making the case for something and, uh, wanting to show, you know, early success, if you start with the sales kind of and customer facing teams and then go more broadly, that's been where I've seen a lot of success. Um, let me think what else to cover. What, what questions do you have? Cause I, I just like yeah. talked. <laughs> no, listen, I think you're spot on in terms of rollout in terms of, you know, when you start your pilot or, you know, your previous, I guess the question that I have, especially as someone who's been doing this for a while, who's sitting in, you know, an executive um, perspective is what kind of results do you hope to see from the business side, from a program? Like, like what, what, should we as marketers be focused on when it comes to employee advocacy to go up, you know, up the ladder and say, Hey, we've got this great program. Here's the results. Like what, what, what do executives want to see or hope to see? I think it depends on what kind of, like what your goals are to outset. I'll talk about like the ones, and I will say this is not even sponsored, but I will say Octopus has the most incredible like analytics of any tool I've seen and not just, not just an advocacy tool, but any social tool that I've seen. So a little plug for you there. Uh, So like the data does matter in helping to make the case for this kind of stuff. Um, And I will speak, I guess, maybe even more broadly around like social analytics, because I think what you're wanting to do, depending on where advocacy sits, oftentimes it's within that social kind of team. And so you're thinking about well, we've got a strategy for the brand and the story we tell on our existing channels. And then how do we activate others? And that's that like employee advocacy, maybe customer advocacy, it could be a lot of different pieces, but you want to be able to look at the same kind of analytics across both. Or the same if you're doing paid social, you want to be able to look at these things in a holistic kind of way. Um, you know, years and years ago, there was a big focus on traffic to the website. That's definitely something you look at, but what I've seen across the board is people don't want to click on things. They want to get the information in this like, you know, kind of concise in the feed. Um, and so you, that's not a metric that I think really shows the impact. So it's a piece of what you would look at. But I tend to look at what I call total social actions. And it's a trick, but I am homegrown and I've been in this for a long time. Um, <laughs> it's essentially engagements plus all the other things. It's the content we put in the world. What happened to it? Did you stop scrolling in your feed or swiping in your whatever. Yeah. Swiping or scrolling or whichever. Did you, the content we put in that out in the world, the content employees put out in the world, what happened? Did you stop what you were doing and take some sort of action? And if you did, I want to see that because to me, that's an attention metric and that's really what we're earning. That's what we're trying to earn. Um, and there's different levels of that attention, but when you want to look at it in a bigger kind of picture, it's what happened. And so if you're thinking about brand affinity, if you're thinking about engagement with a brand, that tends to be where I focus. But there are other things like, um, you know, traffic to the website and what happens to that traffic. There's leads. So webinars and events and things that like, especially for the sales or marketing team, um, you know, what do those generate for the business? And 
Um, looking at that all together, I think, is a really important part. I also like to look at um, impressions, not because it means something, but it is a metric that means something to uh, broader marketing. When you think about, uh, it's one that it, you can connect into a lot of different kinds of marketing, and it's it's a similar um, similar metric. And so I do look at impressions as well. And then also in the past, I have kind of backed into, um, and this is again, where it's kind of nice to have like paid social and organic social and employee advocacy, because you're able to say, okay, well, in order to get this number of impressions from a paid social campaign, we would have costed our business this much kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and again, kind of just like tying it back to what the business value is. It's not just likes and comments. It's attention that you are earning for your audiences. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think it's interesting how, you know, you called out something I think very important. I think so many social media professionals, they'll tend to focus on one or two metrics to tell the story. And that's not really insightful, right? That's not really helpful. And I like how you you mentioned, right? You said it's from the start. You're pulling in a lot of different things and looking at a lot of different things to pull insights, to understand what's happening to the content, where it stops, where it's continuing, to really understand that whole buyer journey, if you will, and then hope, hopefully replicate it. So I, I have, I feel like you and I could do, and maybe this will be our next challenge because I feel I could do an entire episode on employee advocacy and get like down and dirty into it. So, so maybe that will be our next challenge because it, there's just so much to cover. And so I'll stop there. So anyone listening in, you know, if you want uh, more of Rhonda, if you will, in <laughs> advocacy, you'll have to tune back in for a later episode. I'm going to ask you now, what is one thing that you can tell us about yourself that we actually can't learn about you from your LinkedIn profile? That's a good question. Um, I'll go on the like personal side of things because like I don't think that there's a separation, but on LinkedIn, you do tend to leave a separation. I'm like an amateur hobby collector. Like I really like learning new things or just trying new things and being bad at them is okay. <laughs> um, and so I have this tradition where every year for my birthday, I learn something new. And so like, um, you know, I do glass blowing or climbing or quilt making or spoon whittling or like, like legit, just random stuff across the world that I can find. Um, and I don't know. I, it, there's something about trying something new every year that just kind of, I don't know, brings me joy. And then I've made my partner, my husband get into it as well. So like every year for our anniversary, you know how you have the, there's like the traditional gift or whatever. I try oh, to get yeah, like the cotton or the wood or like this. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so I try to plan something kind of like very loosely related to what it is. Um, so like, I think it was right before COVID we did archery. Um, and like the gift was like steel. I don't know, but it was like, oh, arrows are made of metal and we will go back. I don't know. Um, and so I don't know. It just, there's something about forcing yourself to be uncomfortable and bad at something that kind of, it's just fun. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's one thing that you wouldn't know about me otherwise. <laughs> I love it. I have to ask when, when is your birthday and, and what new thing either are you about to do or have you done this year? Yeah. So it was in January and I actually just did this the last couple of weeks. So, you know, it doesn't always happen right then, but I, <laughs> I did climbing, like a climbing gym. Uh, I learned like a rope climbing class and I'm terrified of heights. So I literally was like shaking the whole time, but I was very proud of myself that I, that I did it. Um, so that's one of them. And then, um, 
yeah. I, I mean, I learned things throughout the year too. It's not just then, but I, <laughs> it is one of those habits that people are like, oh my gosh, I love that tradition. So, you know, go out and learn something new, be bad at it. You'll be fine. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Good on you for climbing, hopefully over your fear of heights. <laughs> if anyone listening in wants to connect on climbing, archery, um, social media, employee advocacy, AI, where is the best place for people to connect with you? That's the best. (laughs) Amazing. Rhonda, thank you so much for getting radically transparent with me. And I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to find you again for that employee advocacy episode. And I look forward to having you back for more. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.